Hi, this is Tal Aviazer from Cast Party, and you are listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tale of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. In Chapter 30, Shawnee questions the surviving bodyguard before giving him mercy. At least, that's how she sees it. When she climbs free of the pit trap, she brings with her a few useful items, plus a name. She knows who betrayed them at the Wind of the Cliffs, and although we can assume she shares this information with her companions, we are not privy to their conversation, and will have to wait to find out. Another discovery is made by Jace. He finds a cave entrance, and the decision to use it as shelter is an easy one. Once they have a small fire going in the cave's entrance, they push on inside, thinking they might have found a good place to rest for a few hours, before making the trip to the nearby town of Brannon. Within the cave, they quickly discover signs of human occupation, though by appearances no one has been living there for years. The story then leaves the PCs with the cavern complex not yet fully explored, and pivots to Carrick, the Basilisk of Whitestone Castle, who has been wandering the halls of a dungeon behind a pair of magically sealed but recently opened doors. The companions, it seems, are not the only ones to make a discovery in this episode, for Carrick eventually finds a sarcophagus with the holy symbol of Sadal resting atop it. Warding himself with a half a dozen spells, the Archmage takes the symbol from where it had been placed, and, as had happened with the others, the sarcophagus opens, revealing its contents to him. But once again, whatever secret he learns, it is not for us to know, at least not yet. Chapter 31, Part 1, Day 108, Afternoon, Party Status, Yellowfly, 14 of 26 hit points, Cole, 26 of 26, Shawnee, 16 of 16, Catsbane, 8 of 8, Spells Available, There Are No Spells Available, Catsbane had taken the brand from coal and used it, along with their kindling and Jace's dry wood, to build up a little campfire while the fighters covered the two unexplored tunnels. He had decided not to use the firewood that had been left behind by the former occupants. It was rotten, and he thought it would not burn very well. As he worked, Shawnee continued listening, sure that she had heard something. In the end, she had to give up. The sound of the crackling fire eventually became loud enough to make success impossible. Jace, having nothing to do, looked through the previous tenant's belongings. The bedrolls were rotten and useless, 
One might have expected to find mice living in such a jumble of rags, but there was no sign of anything like that. The earthenware jugs, there were two of them, were open-topped. They contained wine that had long ago turned into vinegar. The small sealed cask, when opened, proved to be filled with clean water. There was also a small wooden chest, a rusted forester's axe, and cooking implements, still encrusted with unidentifiable bits of food. Of these, only the chest was of any real interest. Jace was about to open it when Chane stopped him. Wait, she said, moving beside him. Why? There could be something useful in here, he protested. I mean, it might be trapped. Hmm. I don't see a lock, nor do I see any hinges. You would do well to let me inspect it first. Jace raised his eyebrows and passed her the chest, which Chane received in her gloved hands. It was a little bigger than a loaf of bread and was made of some light-colored wood. Chane thought it might be hickory. She brought it close to the campfire so she could see better and give it a thorough inspection, turning it around and around. As a fourth-level thief, Shawnee has a 25% chance to find traps, and the same again to remove them if they are discovered. Unfortunately, her gloves will not provide any bonus here. Before I make the roll, I first have to figure out if the chest is actually trapped. Given who used to live here, and the circumstances of their leaving, it's not likely that there's anything of value inside, but it's possible. Also, there's a 10% chance that this chest has anything in it that would be worth protecting. The roll. A 20. Well, it was a close thing, but the answer is no. That makes Shawnee's attempt to find traps irrelevant, I suppose. Unable to find anything suspicious, Shawnee handed the chest back to Jace, who opened it. The lid was tightly fitted to the rest of the box, simply by the way it had been built. It was an all-wood construction and well-made. Jace had to wrestle with the top before it came off with a woody squeak. He looked inside and frowned. Ha! This would have been welcome a few hours ago. There's a bit of tinder, a flint and steel, half a dozen candles, some string for making wicks, I suppose. What else? He stuck his hand in and rummaged about. A whetstone, a coiled strip of cloth, uh, could have been a bandage, perhaps, and... Uh, he lifted something whitish out and sniffed it. A piece of soap. Not what I was hoping to find, he said, disappointed. Some of this might be useful, I suppose. By now, Catsbane had a decent fire going. The smoke obliged them by exiting the cavern by the tunnel leading to the outside. This really was a remarkably good spot for a hideout, as it appeared to have once been. Even the way the cavern mouth dipped down and then up kept the moisture out. These caverns were hidden, dry, easy to defend, perfect. I wonder what happened to those who once lived here, said Catsbane, now standing to join the others. Perhaps the answer lies further in, replied Yellowfly. Which way should we go, Catsbane? Well, uh, that one is clearly the right choice, he said, indicating the passage on the right and wearing a goofy grin. Very funny, said Yellowfly, who could not help but smile back. Catsbane is pursuing a new career as a jester, everyone. Would you like to lead the way, Patches? No, I think I'll leave that to someone holding a sword. Very well. Come on, everyone. Let's go. The companions followed Yellowfly into the new corridor. Cole and Jace picked large branches out of the campfire to use as torches and light their way. The natural tunnel inclined slightly down and bent to the left taking them another 20 feet, and opened into a second oval-shaped chamber of similar dimensions to the first, though its ceiling was considerably higher. 
It was festooned with gnarled roots from the trees overhead that curlicued in thickets. At a glance, they could see that the space had also been used as another living and sleeping quarters. There were half a dozen bedrolls and blankets littering the floor, though there was no campfire. A leather sack hunkered by the head of one of the bedrolls. Some kind of musical instrument leaned against the wall to the right. Finally, a dark and crooked vertical line of shadow on the opposite wall marked another exit. Yellowfly used the tip of his sword to prod and shift some of the blankets and bedrolls. The wool was moth-eaten, and here and there was covered in patches of black mold. Perhaps this is where the fungal scent had come from. It did seem stronger here, though fungal was not really the right word to describe it. It was an alien odor. Everyone could smell it, and, judging by their crinkled noses, did not care for it. Yellowfly continued to prod about, being careful not to disturb the mold too much. Under each of the bedrolls was a gunky mass of rotten pine needles and leaves. On his signal, the companions entered the room and fanned out, with Jace moving to examine the sack and Catsbane crouching down to look at the musical instrument. What's that thing? It's a lute, replied Catsbane, gently picking it up. I don't play, but it looks very well made. Dramatis Personae The Occupant of the Cave Hideout More than twenty years ago I had it custom made, explained Manchi Swim to his beloved. You know, I think it might be the only thing of value I have ever owned that I actually paid for in coin. Eridine put a hand on his bare chest and stroked his skin. They were intertwined on their blanket over a bed of fresh pine needles that smelled fresh and good. It was early spring, and although the air was cool outside, the heat of their bodies had kept them warm and happy all through the winter. In fact, she could not remember a time when she had felt so happy for so long. She was in love. Eridine knew, without a doubt, that she would spend the rest of her life with the man beside her. She smiled coyly and replied, You probably stole the coin in the first place. <laughs> Swin laughed and kissed the top of her head before reaching over and picking up the delicate instrument. The bowl of the instrument was made of maple. The soundboard was tight-grained old-growth spruce and featured a beautiful, delicately carved rosette where the sound came out. The strings were made of gut. He plucked at them idly. Would you like to hear a new song? I'm not sure if it's finished or if it needs something else. Perhaps you can tell me, sweetly. Eridine nodded and sat up, leaning her bare back against the cool cavern wall. She was not ashamed of her nakedness. None of them were. As her man tuned the lute and prepared to play, a half-dozen other figures roused in the dim light of the room's single lantern. Not a one of them was wearing a stitch. Swin waited for his audience to be ready before he began to play and sing. Although his voice was unrefined, the cavern made it echo pleasantly. I shot an arrow into the air It fell to earth I knew not where So swiftly it flew My eyes could not follow its flight I breathed a song into the air 
it fell to earth I knew not where he's wise and strong who can follow the flight of a song and long long afterward in an oak I found the song to end I found in the heart of a friend Do you enjoy old school RPGs? Do you love stories of sword and sorcery? Are you tired of the typical actual plays and long, unedited podcasts? Then look no further than Legends from the Fireside, a hybrid storytelling RPG podcast. A podcast filled with tales of adventure and heroism, all at the mercy of the roll of the dice. There's no telling where the story will go and where we will end up. No life is sacred, and no one's survival is guaranteed. You can find the show on all major podcast platforms, and we hope you enjoy Legends from the Fireside. Part 2. Day 108. Afternoon. Party Status. The party status is unchanged. A few things still bother me, said Gatsbane, looking from the loot to the bedrolls and then up at his companions in the dwindling light of their improvised torches. Like what? asked Shawnee. She was keeping an eye on the far wall's exit while the others searched the chamber. This is a perfect place for animals to hole up and we haven't seen so much as a mouse. Why not? Furthermore, why did whoever used to live here Leave this loot behind. It's clearly valuable. Things just aren't adding up. I'm inclined to believe that- I found something, said Jace, interrupting. He had opened the leather sack and pulled out a large lantern made of tin. It was badly dented. I think there's still some oil in here. Wait a moment. He touched the dying flame of his branch to the wick. The flame took, and a warm amber light filled the cavern. Perhaps if the companions had a proper light just a little sooner, they would have seen the two large yellow and brown shapes descending, swift and silent as the night, from the root-covered ceiling that was, in fact, higher than it appeared. Sixteen glowing red eyes surveyed them hungrily from above, selecting their prey. Catsbean was right to worry. The reason there are no small creatures living in the cavern complex is because there are two big ones. The creatures that are about to attack the party, quite likely by surprise, are called Ragodessas. These giant arachnids are spider-like, but they are not spiders. They do not spin webs and wait to catch their prey. Instead, they go out to hunt at night and return to their cave to rest during the day. But every so often, a meal comes to them. Ragodessas have an armor class of 15 and 4 plus 2 hit dice. These ones have 23 and... 22 hit points. Yikes, they are big, even for their species. They have a special attack that works like this. 
Their front legs are tipped with suckers, and when they score a hit, the victim is grappled. In the next combat round, they will be pulled into the creature's mouth and suffer an automatic 2d8 points of damage. I'll allow a very small chance for the grappled person to break free, adjusted for strength, in lieu of attacking. I will also rule that Ragodesses cannot achieve a critical hit. To balance that out, they will not critically fumble on a natural one either. Finally, I'll be rolling for surprise before combat begins, but only for the companions. Normally, an encounter like this would provide a substantial risk to the PCs, but they are currently wounded, and Catsbane does not have a single spell available. My gut tells me it's a little unbalanced. Might as well roll right now to see who will be attacked, even before I check for surprise. I'll make it random, but it makes sense that one character will not be attacked by both creatures, so doubles will require a reroll. Okay, here goes. On a 1, Yellowfly is a target. 2, Sean A. 3, Cole. 4, Catsbane. 5, Jace. The rolls. A 2 and a 5. Entering Combat. Before we begin round 1, I need to see if the companions are surprised. A 1 or a 2 on a d6 means they are. A 6, well, that's a relief. Looks like when Jace lights the lantern, the sudden illumination causes the monsters to flinch back up, just enough for the companions to notice the movement over their heads and scamper out of the way. They get clear just as two huge spidery forms, each the size of a pony, drop into their midst. <laughs> Round 1. Initiative. The party. A 5. The Raguidesas. A 5. Simultaneous combat. Well, that actually makes a lot of sense. I'll roll for the Raguidesas first. The one attacking Jace needs a 12 to hit his AC of 14. An 11 misses. Barely. Wow, I just realized that if he hadn't taken the dead bodyguard's chain hauberk, that would have been a hit. Yikes. The one attacking Shane needs the same. I rolled a 9, so luck is shining over the PCs this round. I'm going to rule that a fighting withdrawal will not be possible this round, unless the party wants to split up, because the Ragodesses fell into the middle of the room and divided them. The party definitely does not want to do that, especially Shawnee and Fly, who are on the far side of the cavern. They can see that the passageway that continues on from this room is probably too narrow for these huge spidery things, but that does not mean they want to use it, so they're going to fight their way closer to the entrance. Speaking of, before aiming his blow, Yellowfly yells, Get out of here, Catsbane! And the young mage does not need to be told twice. Still holding the loot, he dashes to the passage closest to the cave's entrance. Next is Shawnee. She swings her short sword. A 15 will hit. A 3. She's too busy fending off the horrible creature's grasping legs to find an opening. <laughs> now it's Jace's turn. He also needs a 15 to hit with his sword. A 4. It seems he finds himself in the same boat as Shawnee. <coughs> Yellowfly and Cole might have better luck. They each need a 12 and an 11 to hit, respectively. Yellowfly's longsword flashes in and... An eight, it glances harmlessly off of one of the chitinous legs. Cole tries with his new battle axe, swinging two-handed at the monster attacking Jace. A modified 22 is a good hit, and Cole draws first blood. A d8 plus two for damage. Eight points. Wow, he draws a lot of blood, including viscous green spider goo. This Ragudessa is down to 15 hit points, and we are now at the start of round two. Initiative. The party. Six. The Ragodesses. Two. Do the companions flee or fight? I just don't know. 
There's every reason for them to think these creatures would pursue them. This is very tough. Okay, decision time. I hope I don't regret this, but I think I'm going to have them stay and fight for one more round. Shawnee slashes with her blade. Another three. No good. She sacrifices a proper attack to get herself closer to the cavern's entrance. Jace is up next. A one. Oh no. One of the spider's front legs has suctioned onto the side of his sword and wrenched it free of his grasp. Jace now has an inkling of what will happen if one of those legs actually touches him. He'll also lose his next turn. Yellowfly and Cole will go next. Yellowfly needs a 12. A 15 hits. He does. Ah, just two damage, barely scratching the beast that threatens Shawnee. Cole goes last, and 11 will hit. Oh, a natural 19. Wow, Cole's axe is already slimed with blood when it falls a second time, biting into the thorax for... Five plus two is seven points. Yes, Cole, way to go. The Ragodessa now has just eight hit points, but here comes the counterattack. A one in three chance for each monster to change targets. Okay, well, this actually makes sense. The Ragodessa attacking Jace now gives its full attention to Cole and lunges at him. A 12 will hit. Uh, I've got a 17, that certainly hits. To his horror, Cole sees that one of the legs is attached to his chain shirt. It yanks him forward, and his second leg strikes his left arm at the bicep, and it sticks too. I hope Shawnee can avoid a similar fate. A three means she does. Lots of threes rolled on this side of the cavern. Very odd. Anyway, we are on to the next round. Round three. Initiative. The party. A four. The Ragodesses. A one. These lucky initiative rolls, I suspect, are making a big difference. If it were not for Jace's critical fumble on resulting lost turn, and Cole's being grappled, I think this might be the time to run for it, but that just ain't happening. So, the fight continues. Hopefully the PCs can force a morale check. Shawnee ducks under one of the incoming legs and crouches low, trying to stab up and into the creature's underside. A 14 means she does it. Five points to the arachnid takes it down to 15 hit points. Can Yellowfly take it down even further? A 12 will hit. 19! Yes, Yellowfly! Let's see if he can hurt it for real this time. 7 plus 1 for 8 points. He shoves his blade halfway into the abdomen and yanks it back out, leaving a gaping hole that spews forth green ooze and innards. <coughs> the creature has just 7 hit points remaining. It buckles, but does not fall. Can Jason Cole do as well? Jace has the heat off him momentarily, but all he can do is recover his weapon from the cavern floor. Cole will go last. I'll allow a strength check to break away from the creature's grasp, or he can try to strike it. If I use the AD&D Bend Bars Lift Gates rules for getting free, Cole will have just a 10% chance. Hmm, I think he's better off attacking. He still has his axe and can do so without penalty. That 11 will hit. Yeah, 7 means he cannot manage it. <gasps> Cole is drawn right into the Ragodess's mouth and is bitten automatically with no to hit roll required. The jaws pull him into a hug as a pair of fangs pierce his sides. This is going to hurt, rolling 2d8 for damage. Ooh, 14 points. Cole howls in agony as the monster lifts him off his feet with its powerful mandibles hooked under his ribs. He now just has 12 hit points and may not survive another round unless they can kill this monster. Round four. Initiative. The party. Five. The Ragodesses. Three. 
I am having unbelievably good luck with these initiative rolls, but will it be enough? In this round, the stakes are very high. The PCs cannot afford any more mistakes, or Cole will almost certainly die. Let's deal with the less critical fight first. Shawnee tries to get under the creature one more time, looking for a weak spot. She needs a 15 to hit. A 5. Well, at least it's not another 3. I'll allow Yellowfly to notice Cole's peril and change targets. He needs a 12 to hit. A 7. Uh-oh. That's not good at all. Jace will try as well, but he needs to roll a 15. Another 7 is a miss. Yeah. Cole may attack now, but even if he hits, things do not look good. Here's the roll. A 10 is a miss. <clears throat> oh, that was a terrible round for the companions. Not a single roll over 10. Shawnee is now attacked and must avoid being grappled. A 12 will hit her. A 17. That is a hit. Shawnee finds herself ensnared by the sucker-covered front legs and pulled towards the terrible creature. The Ragadessa holding Cole continues to crush him between its two mandibles. Cole has 12 hit points, and the monster will be rolling 2d8 for damage. If it should happen that Cole goes down to exactly zero hit points, I might allow a round or two of unconsciousness before he dies. That's a rule I put into play in Season 1, so I'll continue using it. The roll. Yes, a 3 and a 5. I was positive that Cole would not survive this round. Positive. He goes down to four hit points, but he is still alive. Catsbane ah! is behind them, and he has fumbled the healing potion out of his belt pouch. He holds it in his shaking hands, but he cannot give it to Cole while he's in the monster's horrible embrace. We'll have to go to another round to see how this battle turns out. Cole's got a second chance here. I hope it isn't wasted, but it could all be lost right now on this next initiative roll. If they lose, that's it. Round 5. Initiative. The party. 4. The Ragadessas. 4. Simultaneous. Would you believe it? Once again, I'm going to handle the most dire situation last. We begin with Shawnee, who can attack, but will also be bitten. Her attack. An 18. Finally, she hits. I guess she's right up close, literally in this monster's face, when she drives her blade into one of its eyes. Two points of damage to the Ragadessa. <laughs> Jace is next. His attack roll. A 10 will not be enough. <gasps> Cole, he only needs an 11 to hit. Oh, so close. A 10. He can barely lift his weapon, and his lifeblood is streaming from his lifted body to the cavern floor. <sighs> Yellowfly will try to save him. 17. Yes, that's a hit. But there's a problem. If Yellowfly cannot score 8 points of damage, he will not kill the creature. His damage roll on a d8 plus 1. Four points does not kill it. I have one last idea to try to save Cole. I haven't rolled any morale checks for these creatures yet, mostly because they have had prey grappled. But now that both are down to just a handful of hit points, I think I should roll, and that it makes sense. Regadesses have a morale score of nine. That's not a great chance, but it is a chance. And for Cole, it's the last real chance. Rolling 2d6, I am looking for a nine or higher. A six. These creatures are starving and will not flee. That brings us to the inevitable. Cole is going to take 2d8 points of damage, and unless I roll four or under, he will die. There's no plot armor, right? This is a tough roll to make, and I do not want to make it. But there's nothing else I can do, so here we go. Rolling 2d8. 12 points of damage. Cole is all but cut in two as the powerful mandibles come together. 
Well, there is no time to mourn, and things can still get worse. Shawnee is bitten as well, and in a weird twist of fate, if I roll the maximum on 2d8 this time, she will die along with her friend. Rolling. Nine points is a lot, but not enough to kill her. She screams as the fangs pierce her leather armor and her skin. <coughs> My goodness, this is going badly. Shawnee has seven hit points left, and it is round six. Initiative. The party. Three. The Ragodessas. Two. At least the party has won the initiative, but they must kill the creatures now, or Shawnee is in serious trouble. Her attack. A six is not going to do it. Yellowfly comes to her aid. His roll. A 17 is a hit. A roll of four or better slays the gigantic arachnid. A five on the die, plus one for his strength bonus, is six points. Fly slices off the back of its abdomen, and black guts slosh out onto the floor. Shawnee is released and backs away screaming. Jace will try to kill the remaining monster. He hasn't had any luck so far. A two on the die. No good. Catsbane by now has pulled out a dagger and will throw it. There's not much chance of a hit here. He needs a 15. 20? Am I seeing this right? Holy smokes! Catsbane launches his dagger at the remaining creature and scores a direct hit. There's no need to roll for damage. This shot pierces the Ragodessa's brain and it drops to the floor, dead. Combat is over, and so is this episode. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to help out, there are a bunch of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. Thanks to everyone who has supported the show. I've let this episode run a little long, so I'll skip the usual review spotlight and get right to my excellent cast. There are three voices on this episode, all of which belong to returning actors. Kyellen is here, playing Catsbane. If you haven't yet checked out his SoundCloud, do yourself a favor and do so. He has some really fantastic scores that are free to use. Back in the role of Jace is Kevin Berenger. Kevin is an actor, writer, artist, storyteller, and game designer at Tumble Die Games. Find him online at kbearcreation.com. There's also a voice from the way back. Christine plays Eridine. Thanks, Kyellen, Kevin, and Christine for lending me your talents. If listeners would like to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. And there's always email, taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of RPG-related stuff, like maps, art, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. We're going to give it another go. A bit more zing. A bit of zing. A bit of zing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready? Hello. 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 With a, hello. No, no, no. Hello. 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 Wait, wait till I get through the whole thing. Ready? Wait till, hello. With a billowing hilltop. Hello. Hello. Oh, dear. <laughs> wait till you get through the whole thing. No, no, I mean... I thought I that was the, the whole thing. The whole thing is hello <laughs> with a billowing hilltop. <laughs> okay. That's the whole thing. Yeah? Okay. Okay. That was right. <laughs>
Uh, that pretty much sums up the show. But if you want to find out any more, you can visit us at www.blowinghilltop.com. Is it com? Does anybody know? <laughs> .org. Is it? It's .com. What do we do? What do we, what do we play? There's monsters. Um, does anybody remember? Walking around. We don't know. And- yeah. And we will be delighted if you to join us around our table as we play Dungeon is it fifth edition? Hello? Yeah, we think so. Yeah. Yes. Yes. We play Dungeons and Dragons. Sorry, that was me. I don't, what was that noise in the background? There will be noises in the background as we play Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition through the classic Paizo adventure path, the Age of Worms. You can expect this. No! Quite a bit of this. Um I'm com- Completely lost. This. Blech. This. I've got a bugbear in my underpants. And one of these. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> we're on Apple Podcasts and we're on Spotify and we're on TuneIn and you can find us on Twitter and you can find us on Facebook. Uh, and we uh, hope you join us. Thanks very much. Thanks very much.